0: Hey everyone, Shavuat Tov. I hope everyone had a beautiful Shabbat. I just wanted to give a quick word on Parashat Emor that we just read this Shabbat. And towards the end of the Parashat, we hear about a quarrel, a fight that happened amongst some individuals. And the Pasuk tells over the event, Perech Haftal Pasuk and it reads, Vayetzeh ben Isha Yisraelit. and the son of an Israelite woman exited, the ben Ish-Mitziri, and he was the son of an Egyptian man, betoch ben Israel, into the midst of the children of Israel, v'yinasu bemachane Israelit Yisraelit ve'isha Yisraeli. And they quarreled in the camp, the son of the Israelite woman and the Israelite man. And he pronounced the son of the Israelite woman, the name of Hashem, and he blasphemed. So they brought him to Moshe, the name of his mother, Shalomit, the name of his mother was Shalomit, daughter of the tribe of Dan. So these Pesukim are telling over a story where you had the son of an Israelite woman uh, who was also the son of an Egyptian man because. Back in Shemot, you know, we read about many different things that the, the Egyptian taskmasters did. And and one of the stories is one Egyptian taskmaster uh, entered a home at night of a Jewish uh, home. And he had marital relations with this woman disguised or making believe that he was her husband. And and, and this person has now been the son of that uh, matrimony or, or, or that marital relations. Um, and the Pesukima basically saying that he got into a little bit of a quarrel uh, with another, another Jew. Anyway, he ended up uh, blaspheming Hashem's name. Some of the Mepharshim say he cursed with Hashem's name. Some people say that he actually cursed Hashem himself. Nonetheless, uh, this is the story that's being told over. And what's interesting is if you read the Pesukim, it says, the son of an Israelite woman exited and he was the son of an Egyptian man and he went and they fought and the son of the Israelite woman and the Israelite man argued and he pronounced the son of the Israelite woman the name and he blasphemed. So it's basically not identifying who he is. It's not saying anything names, it's not giving any information, but then after they bring him to Moshe, suddenly it says, the name of his mother was Shalomit, who was the daughter of Divri, and he was from the tribe of Dan. So, Rabbi Avraham Azulai, what he asks is, this whole painful episode that we're reading about here, the blasphemer is initially not identified, right? Only when he's about to be placed in prison does the Torah say the name of his mother was Shalomi, the daughter of Divri. So what's the story here? Why are they keeping him anonymous and then all of a sudden uh, coming about to now identify not only his mother, but his grandfather and the tribe that he's from, And in explaining this point, Rabbi Avraham Azulai writes that this is due to the sterling character of the Jewish people at the time, right? This person who was already in his 60s um, was actually the only person in the entire nation that had this clouded lineage, right? His father was a non-Jew and Egyptian and no one ever so much as commented upon this to him, much less to embarrass him or humiliate him. So even though it was known, even though it was obvious and clear that he came from a compromised history. Even while he was argumentative and even violent, his lineage remained anonymous, right? It says, they quarreled in the camp, the son of the Israelite woman and the Israelite man. So no one even mentioned his name or his mother's name to spare him possible awkwardness or or, or just feeling bad. It was only after he was brought to Moshe and the full extent of his horrible, disgraceful sin became known that his identity was publicized. So we learn how much sensitivity and and the stellar conduct that this generation had. So we really see, and, and, and I'm repeating myself because it's, it's such a clear lesson that although this person was doing terrible things, the people avoided speaking Lashon HaRa about him, whether to others or to him directly, and they avoided embarrassing him about something that was simply and outwardly true. And this teaches us a lot about Lashon HaRa, right, and the right way to conduct ourselves on the subject, because we would think, what's the big deal? The people can't talk about an open fact that this person came from an Egyptian and that his behavior is terrible and he's not a great guy. So, first off, this teaches us more details about Lashon Hara, what Lashon Hara really is, right? What is the prohibition against Lashon Hara? Very simply, based on Hafez Chaim, it is forbidden to speak about anything negative about a fellow Jew, period, end of story, even if it's true. And whether or not it's in front of the person or not in front of the person, all negative speech about a fellow Jew is forbidden. Now, we said... Information that is considered negative and damaging is Lashon Hara, even if what is said is true and accurate. This means even if we're speaking about criminal or general misconduct or lackadaisical Jewish observance about a person, right? Like this individual in the Pasuk, we still shouldn't talk about it. So today, for example, for us, that means if someone else uh, doesn't give charity or we know somebody doesn't keep kosher, doesn't keep Shabbat, that shouldn't be spoken about. That would be considered... Lashon Hara. Now, of course, when something false is said about another person, it's a whole other level. It's even worse, right? It's even more of a severe action. It's called Mozeh Shemra, right? And there's another term, Rechilut, right? Which is falling under Lashon Hara as gossip or or tailbearing, as they say. But again, simply Lashon Hara is speaking negatively about a Jew, and we should avoid it uh, at all costs. So the question becomes, The Pasuk, at the end of the day, mentions the person's name and his history. So, obviously, at some point, Lashon Hara no longer becomes Lashon Hara, right? It's sort of permitted. So, when is saying Lashon Hara permitted? Or when is Lashon Hara not considered Lashon Hara? And the answer is when it's said for strictly constructive purposes. And to be considered constructive, according to the Chafetz Chaim, what the person is saying needs to meet seven criteria. There are seven prerequisites that need to be there for the Lashon Hara not to be Lashon Hara. And we need all seven. You can't have six. You need seven. What are they? Number one, the one saying the Lashon Hara has to have either personally witnessed or has corroborated that which he is saying with certainty. Basically, they have to know for a fact, whether through eyewitness or through investigation and proof that what is being said is true, which in this case, with the blasphemer in the Pasuk, it was, right? It was clear. He openly, in front of the community, uh, uh, was blasphemous towards Hashem. Number two, one has to be sure that the offense committed is in fact wrong. And not just has the appearance of being a problem, which again, in this pasuk, that's obvious, right? This person outwardly committed blasphemy against Hashem, that's clear. Um, And again, there's different opinions about what he actually did or said. Some say he cursed with Hashem's name or some say he cursed Hashem himself, God forbid, but either way, it was wrong. So number one, uh, it has to be 100% fact. And number two, we have to know that uh, it was in fact wrong. Uh, Number three, before discussing the negative activity, one has to have attempted to highlight the wrongdoing to the person being spoken about and have encouraged him to reconsider and change his behavior. Now, in our case with the pasuk, obviously was too late, right? He already committed the act. But for us, what that means is before going to run to talk to other people about a person, you have to confront the person themselves and see if you can help them or get them to change. That's number three. Number four, no exaggeration allowed, right? A person cannot retell the story with any exaggeration or hyperbole. It has to be accurate. Uh, And number five, he who relays negative information can only do so with a constructive motive. There can't be any hatred towards this person or thrill from speaking about the subject so it has to be completely L'Shem Shamayim right it has to be that I'm telling someone in order to create a constructive outcome I have no thrill about it I have no hatred towards this person and that's that number six there must be no other way in which to achieve whatever constructive purposes saying the L'Shon HaRa will accomplish and number seven even if all the other six criteria are fulfilled one still may not say L'Shon HaRa if the damage caused to the person discussed will be greater than what the Lashon Hara would achieve. We hear these seven prerequisites um, you could write them down. You could play this back to, to, to just really absorb them and digest them. Um, it's really, really fascinating because if we look at things that happen in our lives, there are situations where you might be able to check off all seven and it makes sense, and there might be some where you can't, and maybe we should hold a little bit back. So these are the seven, and we obviously know here in this parasha at this point, the Jewish people determined that all seven prerequisites were being covered, so they were able to proceed, and the Torah recorded it, and the blasphemer unfortunately ultimately was killed. Um, but bottom. Line, it's wild the seven prerequisites uh, and we learn from the parashah how crucial it is how life essential it is to avoid the negative talk avoid lashon and avoid embarrassing a person and even if a person is guilty and bad and wrong we cannot and should not speak badly about them unless the seven prerequisites above as outlined by the Chafetz Chaim are established now it's so severe lashon right? That the sages say that it doesn't matter if the lashon hara was volunteered by the speaker or if the person was asked for the information. They're equally forbidden. Even if the person being asked to say lashon hada would experience a financial loss or embarrassment if he doesn't speak, it's forbidden to speak, according to Chavetz Chaim. And this prohibition includes any communication, whether it's verbalized or whether it's written or even implied in a silent matter or a gesture, which is wild. Now we're not saying this is easy, that it's something we could all perfectly do today. It, It's like Shabbat, right? If we studied and learned all the halachot of Shabbat, we'd be overwhelmed with how difficult it is to truly stick perfectly to the letter of the law of Shabbat. But we try, we try our best. So we take this awareness with Lashon and we try our best. Now, to end here, the famous question. Practically for today, What if the lashon is to protect a person, right, or warn a person, or save a person? What if I uh, need to warn someone from entering a bad business partnership with someone, or prevent a bad shiduch, right, a bad marriage? What about then? Well, if it's purposeful and it's important for the recipient to hear what needs to be said to save them from a potential pitfall or harm, then there's reason to permit it, right, on the speaker's part. Though it has to be sincere, that that's the only purpose of sharing. And on the listener's part, he or she can only act protectively, right, as a result of the negative information. They can't accept the information as fact and express disdain towards the person or animosity towards the person or spread it. They can only take precautionary measures as needed based on the information, and that's it. And the person speaking should only share what's relevant. They should share relevant details and not exaggerate or speak things that might not be fully confirmed. So if one is looking to engage another party for a business partnership or an employee hiring or a family partnership, for example, and it's at a stage where it's appropriate to research someone else's background and do due diligence, whether it's reputation or character, he's permitted to do it, right, to inquire and obtain relevant information that might otherwise be considered Lashon Hara, but one does not have a license to obtain the negative information they want unless it's really relevant and really necessary to what whatever potential partnership they're seeking. And even if it's justified what they're seeking, they're obligated to disclose this reason for asking for the negative information. So the person that they're asking information from for, they need to say, it's because I have a potential shidduch, I have a potential business partnership, they need to know it's not just Lashon Hara. Um, uh, This is for business, this is for marriage. And, And that way the person answering also does not relate information with the wrong intention. They know it's not for Lashon Hara. And same thing if a person needs help, right? If someone, God forbid, sees another Jew, doing terrible things to himself or others, God forbid, and he believes that it will be more effective for his father or rabbi to help him, there's a reason to permit him telling it over. And of course, if someone's trying to do damage, God forbid, and the Lashon HaRa would prevent the person from doing damage, of course, that's another situation where it's permissible. We just need to be sure that the person in question is truly attempting to be harmful and that there's no hateful motive in the Lashon HaRa that the person's speaking over and that there's no really other way to... uh, to help the situation. So let's learn from this parasha uh, to protect our fellow Jews from embarrassment. Let's learn from this parasha to guard our mouths and try to limit Lashon Hara the best we can. And let's try to use these fascinating concepts and thoughts and prerequis- prerequisites from the Chavetz Chaim to make sure that we, uh, we take care uh, to speak properly. And Bezrat Hashem, uh, all of us, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people will be holy uh, and will merit to have words of power that uplift the world. Amen. Good night.